impulse jaw tightened. She kept her collar buttoned up to the chin, but the sharp tip of the scar that twisted across her neck still poked its pink tongue out under the line of her jaw. She hardly ever spoke about Oren's war, but he'd scavenged enough pieces of the story to know the rough shape of it. When the rebel king raised his banner and army, Paul's husband had picked up his sword in defense of dominion. The old woman had followed him off to war armed with needle and catgut and a well-loved hymnal. Paul came back a widow and began her life's work tending to the lost boys on the city on the cliff. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode where we last left off. The spider suggests to Haytham that they bring Lee in on their plot against White Rose before reminding Haytham of the little chore that he agreed to do for him first. If you missed last episode or any other, I will leave a link to the full playlist down in the episode description, so make sure to check that out. All right, that's enough from me. I'll catch you guys at the end of the episode. I'm Josh Call, and this is Last Coliseum. The vaulted ceiling of the great sanctuary always made his heart sore. He remembered the place as far back as memory went. He'd known it by a different name then, and from the time he was small, a part of him burned to tread the marble floors of Glass House. Before Paul, he'd kept his distance. He learned early that men couldn't be trusted, all the more than their dead and risen god. Not until he was thrust from the raven's wing into the high city did his fear fade by degrees, first of the men who called her home, and next of the god who slumbered behind those towering polychrome windows. It didn't hurt that Paul had been there to hold his hand going inside. Even now, so many years and liturgies later, it was enough to make his jaw slacken just a little. The stone arches that crisscrossed the ceiling seemed to scrape the sky to a boy of eleven, and the marble colonnade ushered him on toward the red-petaled blood tree, her scarlet leaves frozen swirling in the glass on the far wall. At sunset, the orange light filtered through the bloody window and set the whole cathedral burning. In the long years since, his one-time awe of the dead god had dulled to a sort of mutual indifference, The old woman took note of this and never tired of voicing her disapprobation. But even so, it was here that he felt that strange thinness between worlds, here that he could almost perceive the unblinking eye of the Almighty. Almost. His right cheek was stiff and heavy with the compress the old woman had forcibly applied to the black furrows below his eye. He managed to wriggle out of the worst of her questions with some nonsense story about a dog bite. By the way her eyes had narrowed, he could tell that she didn't quite believe him, but she left it alone, and that was well. The truth would only make her worry. At least his face had distracted her enough that she forgot to scold him over letting Sim run home alone the other night. After she'd finished half-blinding him with the compress, she'd fed him breakfast and suggested that he join her for mid-morning mass. She seemed more than a little surprised when he accepted. She was sitting on his blind side, but he could hear the susurrus of her whispered prayers all through the homily, mostly in the vulgar, but with a few phrases of high speech thrown in like pinches of salt for flavor. He knew what she was praying for, him, Sim, the other boys, health and wisdom, for her God not to tarry in coming home, the chants and the homily he'd endure, but the prayers he'd soak up gladly. He'd woken up three times in the night with a feeling like an anvil was resting on his chest. After the third time, he threw on his breeches and wandered to cliffside and back, his pilgrimage finally ending at Paul's place an hour past dawn. 
He didn't know how the brawler had found his room above the smithy, but the morning after the bee and bonnet, Lee had found a folded square of parchment wedged in the door jamb. It fluttered down as he stepped out for his necessaries. He caught it as it fell. It read, Meet at foot of south ramp, outside edge. Sunset. Felling. Bring your picks and a blade. Wear a cloak. If yes, light a candle in window tonight. Tell no one. He hadn't signed it. Lee kept the candle burning all night. All that remained when he'd left before dawn was a hard puddle of wax dripping down the wall and pooled on the floor. That was the easy part. The hard part was the rest. Telling the jackdaw, guiding the knife, making sure that his brute struck true, he'd only have one chance. If they failed, the Reaper had already once crawled out of the void to revenge himself against the man who'd betrayed him. It was not lost on the thief that he was standing in those same traitor's boots. Devil only knew what would happen if Haytham wriggled out a second time. Felling was still a day away. By the day after tomorrow, it would be over and done, if he could get a grip on his courage and get on with it. Tell the jackdaw. He'd almost gone to the milk den during his roundabout journey to Paul's. He still had the brawler's note in his pocket. Through the fabric of his breeches, it felt like lead. Starry-eyed starling, where are you gone to? Remember my darling, you sang in my hand. The old woman's voice roused him gently from his brooding. He'd heard that old lullaby more times than he could count, whether she was tucking the boys in or bandaging their war wounds or humming as she cleaned up the messes that trailed forever in their wake. He blinked. The priest had finished his prayer, and the sparse pews were thinning as folk trickled out through the front doors. A pair of acolytes had stationed themselves on either side of the door, rattling their offering boxes like street beggars. The old woman was looking at him. Her lined features always took on a soft glow of divinity in the hours after a service. Sorry, Lee excused himself, forcing a thin smile. I was thinking. That's your first problem, she told him sagely and tapped a gnarled finger against her chin. You can think yourself sick, you know. Lee swallowed and looked up at the chancel. Figures writhed in the sweet smoke that rose off the censers. He felt Paul's hand close gently over his forearm. What's got your heart? It's nothing, he started to say, and heard himself blurt. Have you ever known you had to do something, but it didn't feel right? She nodded. Sure. Can't imagine Cyrus felt too good staring into the faces of the seven the night they turned traitor, knowing what they'd do to him. She waited for a response. It didn't come. Are you going to make me ask? It's not really the same thing, he muttered. Oh, how is it then? He stared at the smoke-shrouded face of the slave on the tree. His features screwed up in perfect agony, his glass gaze upcast as if to ask why. He'd had nightmares about it the first time he saw the image. Then, as now, he couldn't look away. What if the thing you had to do was kill someone? Her hand withdrew from his as if she'd been burned, and too late did Lee realize what he'd said. Kill someone? She stood up. Her old face was pale, and she flinched back as he reached for her. No, Paul! He caught her hand, the gloved one, and jumped to his feet. This isn't about me. I, I was just thinking, is all. About the war? Paul's jaw tightened. She kept her collar buttoned up to the chin, but the sharp tip of the scar that twisted across her neck still poked its pink tongue out under the line of her jaw. She hardly ever spoke about Oren's war. 
But in the years since Lee showed up on her doorstep, ragged and hungry and blazing with fever, he'd scavenged enough pieces of the story to know the rough shape of it. When the rebel king raised his banner and army, Paul's husband had picked up his sword in defense of dominion. The old woman, though she'd have been 30 then, had followed him off to war armed with needle and catgut and a well-loved hymnal. Paul came back a widow. And with the dead man's meager pension, she bought the mismatched house and began her life's work tending to the lost boys on the city on the cliff. Is killing always wrong? Lee murmured. She broke his gaze and scooped the battered hymnal off her seat, which had been bound and rebound over the long years. She started down the aisle between the pews, and for a moment Lee thought she'd ignored the question. No, he heard her reply. He hurried to keep pace with her. There's some men that are closer to monsters, and other men charged with stopping them. Lee threw up a hand to shield his face as they stepped out into the afternoon bright. From the corner of his eye, he saw that her face was hard. She stared down at the huge stone steps that ran down to the bustling sanctuary square. Like the Inquisitors, he offered. She nodded, but didn't say more. He skipped down the marble slabs after her. I think there's things worse than killing. Like dying. Like Orin the Black calling himself king. That's something worth fighting against. He was expecting assent after the fate her late husband had met on the forested fronts to the north. It's a fine line, she said at length, her voice husky. It was hard to hear her over the street chatter. I saw men fly in both banners turn prey to the devil. They passed a fire-eater from the coastlands enmeshed in a small crowd. Lee felt the heat as he belched a great gout of flame at the sky. He applauded along with the crowd. We all got a bit of evil in us, Paul was saying. She hardly looked up at the fire-eater. In some men, that evil crowds out the good. Hell's full of men who'd done wrong for the right reasons. You think I'm going to hell? She paused and looked back at him. He peeled himself away from the fire-eater. His face was dark. Are we still talking about the war? said Paul. Her mouth was a straight line. He felt heat rise to his cheeks. You never did anything wrong because you had to? I'd done plenty of wrong things, she allowed. Not sure I had to do any of them. She started walking again, and when I stand before the judge, I'll have to give an account to the last. Lee hadn't moved. I don't think God damns you for stealing bread to feed your family. Sounds like your mind's well made up. She was ten paces away from him now. He begrudgingly jogged to catch up before she could be swallowed up by the bustle in the square. She was at the mouth of one of the neighboring boulevards when he fell in next to her. Sometimes your back's against the wall, he insisted between breaths. You you do what's bad to stop what's worse. Can you stop a fire with a burning wick? He didn't answer. A slight flush had crept up her cheeks. It made the finger of Scar above her collar red and angry. But her voice was calm. I don't think God puts us in places where we can't choose the good. The devil, maybe. Not God. Ahead of them, a wide berth was given to a cluster of grey-robed ascetics marching down the street with an effigy of some saint or other lifted up between them. Though he could only pick out a few words in the high speech, their chanting made goose flesh rise on his arms. Paul stopped in her tracks and made the sign of the blood tree while they passed. What if someone threatened the boys and told you to deny the faith? Now the color flared bright on her cheeks. Her jaw tightened and she rubbed her gloved hand with the bare one. That's not funny. I'm serious. He put a hand on her shoulder. She avoided his eyes. You don't have to tell me what you do. I do the same. Paul was quiet for a long time. She looked back over her shoulder to the monks disappearing into the throng on the square. 
The effigy bobbed above the heads of the crowd. What do you think of the martyrs? She said softly. Plenty of saints faced the flames rather than give up the faith. Were they all just fools? He didn't answer. She'd trapped him, tell her no and she'd proved her point. Say yes, and Cirrus would have come home by the time Lee saw an end to the old woman's reproach. A sad smile started in her tired eyes and trickled down her cheeks. I'm sure there's loads of men who broke under threat, she admitted. It's just words, isn't it? She leaned in and gave him a conspiratorial wink. But we don't name churches after them. Lee smirked and hung his head. I don't think they'll be naming churches after me any time soon. Maybe no. She started walking again. But the choices we make, make us. There's no way around that. She looked over her shoulder at him. Perhaps you're staring so hard between bad and worse that you can't see the third way. They went back to Paul's place, and she fixed him lunch. The third way. He was halfway to the milk den when his legs started to shake. By now, dusk was settling in thick and heavy over the city. He'd caught Gus just before the hawk flipped his sign to closed. He could tell from the little man's face when Lee plunked down the emerald pendant that he had questions, but he dared not ask them and risk fouling up the deal. Thirty crowns. It was more coin than Lee had ever held at one time, and perhaps that was why his legs began to tremble and it felt like he had beetles in his belly as he closed in on the jackdaw's nest. He tried not to think about the small mountain of gold he was leaving on the table with Gus but it was a relief to see the hawk rip up the loan he'd labored to sign. He breathed a little easier after that. Gus fixed him a long and worried look through his thick spectacles before he slid the crowns over. Whatever you're about, boy, he muttered, chewing on his lip. Be careful. Lee told him name survive and hurried out before the little man could sap his resolve. He hesitated at the mouth of the alley. Already he caught a whiff of that burning flower smell on the breeze. It made him shudder. Before he went further, he gingerly peeled the old woman's dried compress off his cheek, wincing as it took the scabs with it. He'd need both his eyes if the third way failed and he had to use the knife he'd secreted up his sleeve. He did the knock. Two, two, one. This time he held his breath as the door yawned open. Fingers of smoke reached for him as the brute who filled the doorway stared imperiously down at him. Lee dug his fingernails into his palm and jerked his head toward the stairs leading up. He's expecting me. Weapons? The big man's voice was muffled by his leather mask. Lee shook his head. He patted him down anyway, starting with the torso. When he reached the bulge in his pocket, Lee resisted the nervous urge to make a joke about his bits, and he produced his purse. The brute cocked an eyebrow when he opened the little drawstring bag and he saw the hoard within. It's for him? Lee bobbed his head toward the stairs. At the same time, he was slipping the knife from his sleeve into the waistband of his breeches where the big man's hand had already been. The brute finished his pat-down and clasped Lee's forearm. You know where to find him? Lee did. Krask was waiting for him on the stairs. The ugly bulldog followed him down the hall toward the jackdaw's study, all sorts of foul noises emanating from the cells on either side. Rooster opened the door for him and gave a mocking bow to Lee as he stepped inside. The jackdaw was in the same place he'd left him, perched behind his desk, framed in the long windows overlooking the street. The desk was festooned with an array of papers and pens and ink pots, and the man himself was scribbling in a thick leather-bound book. He was wearing a pair of tiny wire-rimmed spectacles. He didn't look up at the thief. 
At the edge of the desk, there was the half-demolished remains of an enormous meat pie. The jackdaw's fine, fancy clothes were speckled with crumbs. For a long moment, the only sound was the scratching of his pen. When he paused to dip it in the ink pot, his eyes flicked momentarily up to Lee. Well... Lee could see Rooster and Krask flanking him out of the corner of his eye. If things went slantways, and the sinking feeling in his gut suggested they might, he needed the bruise far away from here, preferably a different city. I want to talk alone, Lee said, sounding more confident than he felt. Krask bristled. Rooster muttered an oath softly enough for the thief to hear, but not his master. Killam cocked an eyebrow. Very well. He flicked his fingers to the door, and his brutes went. Lee swallowed. The knife in his waistband felt bulky and obvious. Before the door could snick closed, the jackdaw drew open a drawer on his desk and produced a small crossbow. It was like a toy you might find among a tinker's wares, with arms barely a hand span across. But the barbed head of the quarrel glinted wickedly in the light from the hearth and the lamp on his desk. He caught Lee staring. Do you like it? It's the latest fashion. All the lords of Cliffside have one. Lee blinked as he drew the arms back with a click and laid it on the desk. He didn't think it was by chance that it happened to be pointing at him. Well, boy, spit it out. He'd gone back to his papers. I don't have all night. Lee pulled the purse and tossed it on the fat man's desk. It landed with a metallic thud. Killam didn't react. What's this? Thirty. Plus the fifteen I gave you before. Forty-five crowns. Lee fought to keep his voice steady. We're done. Killam gingerly set down his pen and blew on the page he'd been writing on before setting aside the book. One hand crept instinctively for the platter. He caught himself. Our terms were for the reaper, he murmured. He didn't sound angry. Yet. I'm setting new terms, replied Lee. He took a step toward the desk. You take 45 crowns, and I never see you again. He deliberately kept his eyes on the jackdaws. In his mind, he was measuring the distance from himself to the hand crossbow. He wondered whether he could dive for it and plug him before the fat man could react. He wondered whether Paul's god would damn him for taking out a piece of vermin like Killam. I won't be your hireling, Lee swore. His gaze trailed over the jackdaw's shoulder. It was perhaps twenty feet from the window to the cobbles. He could hear Rooster and Krask moving about in the hallway. If he did manage to put a bolt through the fat man's neck, he'd only have one way out. Two if you counted the void. Killam stared at him for a full minute, expressionless. Lee tried not to fidget. Very well. He reached for the purse and splayed the drawstring with two pudgy fingers. He looked at Lee. Do I have to count it? it? It's all there. Killam nodded and went back to his book. Lee stood there for an awkward few moments, listening to the scratch of his pen. That, that, that's it? Were you expecting more? The jackdaw shrugged. Truth is, I don't need you anymore. I got tired of waiting. His pen hesitated over the page. So I made new plans. Realization stole the thief's breath. You followed me. A small smile twitched at his thick purple lips. Are you surprised? I half expected you to run, even after I warned you. He leaned in and dropped his voice. It's good you didn't, for your own sake. He went back to his book. 
Boys. The door whispered open and his brutes squeezed inside. They caught Lee by his arms. He flinched away from Rooster, but Crask held him fast. As he started to pull him toward the door, the thief looked at Killam. What are you going to do? The jackdaw shook his head. He looked like a massive, mischievous toddler. Now there be telling. Lee looked at his sleeve and saw that Rooster's hand had left a greasy print on the shoulder. Both of Killam's boys reeked of lamp oil. But if you're really interested... He hesitated, biting his lip. Keep an eye on the Eidolon. Rooster made a guttural sound in the back of his throat like an explosion and flared his fingers. Lee was aghast. You'll kill people. The fat man shrugged. Innocent people. Killam put a hand to his chest in mock affront. That's not fair. I tried it the other way. My man fell through. He reached for the pie and began sectioning off another slice. I don't have much of a choice now, do I? He jabbed at Lee with his gravy-stained fork. In a way, it's you killing all those people. I was counting on you to save them. He scooped up the purse and made as if to drop it into the open drawer from which he'd produced the crossbow. Krask tightened his grip and started to muscle Lee out the door. Wait! Killam looked at him expectantly. Lee saw a trickle of impatience in his eyes. I can give him to you, he heard himself say. But I need your word. No innocence. A wolfish grin snaked across the jackdaw's features. My word is my bond. Krask let him go. Lee crept back into the study like a whipped dog. His courage had fled. Now he was just trying to keep a grip on his gorge. He wondered whether Paul's god would damn him for being a damn fool craven turncloak. He told them everything. Thank you guys so much for listening. It truly is a privilege to be able to share this story with you. If you have any ideas for what you want to see in future videos, do me a favor and just leave that in the comments and I will be thrilled to hear those suggestions. If you haven't followed on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, do me a favor and leave a five-star review there so that this story can reach more people. All right, that's enough from me. I'll catch you guys next week.